All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Is the United States about to go into a recession and whose fault is it? And what actually causes recessions and what exactly is a recession? Well, if you stick with us on this episode, we're going to explain all of those things because today we're going to talk about what a recession is, what causes them and what you can actually do about it. All of that and more coming up on this episode of making the argument. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you walk away with something valuable after listening or watching this episode, I hope you leave us a comment on the YouTube channel. You can find Nick's YouTube channel by searching Nick Freitas and uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for joining us. So I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a reasonably good person. With us as always, my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees. Hello, everyone. We also have our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian. Hello. And then, of course, our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. All true things. And it's a good thing you don't like central banking because that is going to be one of the topics that we discuss today with respect to what causes recessions. Because this term gets thrown around a lot, and sometimes it gets thrown around by people that I don't think actually know what it is. Um, and look, there's there's no reason why you would necessarily know what the technical definition of a recession is. But we figured, you know what, this would be a good topic, talking about what – because – Because we have people right now that have been suggesting for the last, I mean, the same people that were saying inflation's not happening or inflation's overblown or this is just something that's getting talked about to derail, build back better, are now admitting that, okay, yeah, no, inflation is here and it's bad and, and yeah, we should have known that. Those are the same people that were saying, well, no, 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 a recession isn't inevitable. Well, now, according to uh, this article out of Fox Business, U.S. may be in recession. Atlanta Fed data shows GDP tracker indicates deeper contraction in quarter two. But this just kind of leads us to that initial question, right? What exactly is a recession? So let's go ahead and read this off. A period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced, generally identified by a fall in GDP in two successive quarters. Yep. So when we're talking about what a recession is, as opposed to just, you know, uh, some other form of economic downturn or as opposed to like a depression, right? When we talk about a recession, that's what it means. So you've got two quarters of essentially negative growth, uh, which is obviously a bad thing. Now, one thing that Christian, I always like to point out on this because this is important for people to understand. There are ways that the government can kind of inflate its GDP numbers, so GDP is an acronym for gross domestic product. Essentially, it's like all the productive, you know, all, all the value of all the goods and services and everything like that within a country. Um, one of the ways that the government can kind of boost its GDP numbers is it can print a bunch of money and spend it. <laughs> and so you actually saw like huge GDP numbers during World War II. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't mean that that was a, a great time necessarily of economic development. Mm-hmm. If you define positive economic development as the economy producing the goods and services that people want that make their lives better, not just the government, you know, throwing massive amounts of money at something, but that provides you a a good definition of a recession. So when all the talking heads on the news are talking about recession, that's what they mean, right? A period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced, generally identified by a fall in GDP in two successive quarters. And what the Fed is essentially saying right now is that based off of analyzing this data, it looks like we may officially be going into a recession. I mean, it's been a long time coming. We've talked about it on this podcast a lot, economic related stuff. And this is my bread and butter. I I love these, these discussions. He loves recession. I I love recessions. Yeah, no, I, it is. (laughs) 
Sorry. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But this is why Christian does analysis and not marketing. <laughs> I, well, I, well, I did political marketing for a while, but like it, it is. I I can already see the headlines coming. Um, we actually tweeted something <laughs> yesterday. Coming to a Washington Post headline near you. Why a recession is not here, but if it was, it would be a good thing. Um, it, it is. Honestly, we've we've been waiting for this moment for a while. Yep. I mean, I think that that most people that have paid any sort of like reasonable, you know, attention or understanding to the economy lately kind of knew that this was coming. Um, I mean, we're in the process of a giant act of like, you know, monetary tightening right now. Yeah. And I mean, quite frankly, it's funny because I was about to say this is being caused by the Federal Reserve tightening. But in reality, the Federal Reserve wouldn't have to be tightening if it hadn't blown up the bubble in the first place. Yeah. And so, like, even though it's it's technically true that the recession that is almost certainly already here, it just hasn't been officially announced. By the way, the the, the um, quarter two numbers won't be announced until uh, late late July, early August. So we'll actually know, you know, about at the end of this month if it's actually official. But based on what we saw with the the Atlanta Fed, it is. It was negative two point one. And by the way, they revised it down. It was like a week or two ago that it, originally it was they thought it was going to contract by about one percent and then they they doubled it and they said it was going to shrink by two percent. So what I'm trying to get at is, is that we kind of knew this was coming, and in large part this recession is being triggered by the Fed shutting off the money printer, you know, shutting uh, you know shutting off the flow of free credit and raising interest rates. They're they're drawing they're deleveraging basically, and that's led to a giant slump in the market, which has led to a lot of tech firms laying off people, which has led to slower economic growth that finally went negative. But the thing is, is that like, it's not just the, it's, it's not just the Fed's fault. It's not because I, what I don't want people to walk away from, and I guarantee you there's people on the left that are going to say this, that this happened because Jerome Powell raised interest rates and he shut off the money printer and that, and then the MMT people are going to come out. And I'd love for you to explain what this is. Yeah. I, the MMT people are going to come out and say, this is why we need modern monetary theory because the Federal Reserve triggered this recession when they raised interest rates. They raised interest rates going into a recession and they knew that they shouldn't have. This is why we need more QE. What is QE? Quantitative, Quantitative easing, easing. The fancy term that the Fed uses to describe money printer go burr. <laughs> and that is absolutely not the lesson that we need to learn here. Well, and I, and I think, yeah, that, that's a good point because... Everyone intuitively understands that, yeah, being in a recession is bad. If your economy is shrinking, that's not a good thing. Um, we want the economy to be growing. And a lot of the the purveyors of of MMT, modern monetary theory, have have pushed this idea that, you know, you know, balanced, controlled inflation is is, you know, the, the way to do things. But they've also, I, I would say they've um underestimated the the problems that inflation has within the economy. And to Christian's point, because there's going to be a a there is a causation correlation relationship between the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and especially entities on Wall Street basically, you know, losing uh, value. The problem is, is that if, if that's the point that you look at the problem at the point where they, they raise interest rates and you say, ah, that's what caused the recession. Well, then you're going to come up with some pretty bad theories on how to improve it. Like, Oh, we'll just lower interest rates or just spend more, you know, the federal reserve needs to actually put more money into the economy in order to get us out of this, this bust. And this is where we talked about, I think it was a couple episodes ago, the Austrian theory of the business cycle. It's about properly understanding that the fed is not just responding. The fed's not arbitrarily raising interest rates now because it felt like it, right? It's had to raise them because prior to raising them, it had them so it had them artificially low at the same time that it was pumping money into the economy. So it created a bubble, and now it's trying to respond to the bubble, which is going to create more of a bust, and then it's going to respond to the bust by guess what? Printing more money. Out of the Printing bubble. more money and creating another bubble. This is the cycle that we've talked yeah. about. We've did we've done why minutes on this. We've even talked about this at least briefly in previous podcasts. There's a lot of different theories about like when this all began. I mean, you could go back to 1913 if you really wanted to yeah. go far enough back. But the the two most common ones are 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. Because I mean, the Chicago School says that you could have a central bank, but as long as you have a gold standard, you can't get 
the boom bust cycle because the Federal well, Reserve can't, you or you can't it. get it as bad because the Fed could still change metal with interest rates, but you can't get the unlimited quantitative easing yeah. if you have sound currency, which we don't have, and we haven't for 51 years now. Yeah. And so like that is one of the turning points. The other one was, and I've brought this up over and over again, it was the, the giant crash in October 1987. And Alan Greenspan, who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve, who, who proclaimed to be a free market believer. Yeah set us on this course. We now call it at the time it was called the Greenspan point. And then he left office and then it became, you know, the event over time it, it, standard pro yeah, it became the Bernanke put and then the Yellen put. And so like, now we just call it the fed put. Um, I mean, he created this process when the market crashed in 1987, it was in one day. And, and the reason I'm, I'm saying this story is because many people who, who might be listening to our podcast simply weren't alive at the time. Yeah. But when the market crashed in 1987, it was a 25% drop in the New York stock exchange in one day. And there was a legitimate fear that we would not – like there, talk about a recession. There was a fear that it would be a depression, a return to 1929, a return to the 1930s. And Alan Greenspan's response was lower interest rates and pump money into the markets. And what that did was is that that fueled eventually the tech bubble of the 1990s. And when that popped, the response again was lower interest rates and pump money into the economy. And that time, that money found its way into the housing market. And that created the housing market crisis that eventually popped another 10 years later. These go, these go in 10-year cycles, roughly. And the problem is, is that we've put this off for so long. We've been, we've been playing this game where we're not allowed to have market corrections because those are bad things. And politicians don't want them to happen under their watch. That we have now created, you know, we went from, from a, a, a tech bubble to a housing bubble to an everything bubble. And every single time it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And if you, you could just look at the oh, charts. By its nature. Yes. You yeah, can look at the nature. charts of, of over that entire time period, interest rates have fallen repeatedly over that entire mm -hmm. time period because that is the tool that the Federal Reserve uses to fuel the creation of the bubble. And we were at 0% interest rates until the Fed started raising them just recently. And now, I mean, we're not even close to what we need to be to get yeah. rid of inflation. Inflation is is 8.5%. Theoretically, you need an interest rate, you know, you need a Fed fund rate of 9% mm -hmm. in order to deal with that. We haven't seen that since the Volcker era. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the important thing to understand. And this kind of moves us into the, the second point we want to discuss, right? What causes recessions? Well, again, if, if a recession is a is a generalized drop in the overall productivity of your country, well, then you have to look at, okay, what is productivity? What exactly does that mean? And then what, what can be attributed to a, uh, to a drop in it? Well, I would hope that most people would understand that if you if you engage in policies which punish productivity, you will get less productivity. Right. Right. This is this is not mind-boggling. Although it's amazing the number of economists that think that the government can punish this over here and reward this over here and manipulate this over here and 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 it'll all be fine. It'll uh, human being millions of human beings will just operate according to whatever strings they happen to be pulling at the time. That's not what happens. So there's, there's a couple of things to keep in mind because you're going to be hearing a lot of explanations on what is causing inflation. Um, but ultimately you have to look at it from a couple of different factors. One, obviously producing goods and services requires effort and intelligence and, you know, sacrifice at certain points risk. to some degree risk, right? It, it includes all of these things. And there's a number of factors that can intervene to make that more difficult right? So there can be, there can be natural influences or uh, like, for instance, if you have a, a tornado that comes through and wipes out crops, you're going to have, you know, the, the overall uh, wealth associated with crop production is not going to be as high as it was before the tornado came in because you, you now have a restriction on the, the supply component. Um, if you have a tsunami come and wipe out Southern Japan, the industries that were in the pathway of that are going to be negatively affected. If you have a global pandemic, these are all things that can affect um, whether the, the productivity um, that your, your country is able to produce. Now, what you also get is the government response to things. And you also get political ideologies and objectives. So, for instance, the government response to COVID also had, I would argue, a, a negative impact on the economy. What was that tweet that Thomas Massey put out? Just a few days ago, where he said that the it turns out the twelve hundred dollars stimulus checks ended up being the cheese in the mousetrap. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he calls them the stimmy checks. Yeah, yeah. but it, but it's but that's an that's an important component because you can look at something like COVID, right? And you can say, okay, let let's assume that COVID was was not the creation of you know scientists in the lab in Wuhan. Let's let's just assume for a second that it was a completely natural phenomenon. 
Okay. That's something that I'm not going to necessarily blame, you know, political leadership for or bad economics for. It, it's a it's a natural thing. Like we could say the bubonic plague, right? Yeah. This is something that occurs that you have to deal with, but there's going to be a negative impact on your economy because plagues wiping out millions of people is bad for the economy, yeah, I, regardless I, of what Malthus would say. Uh, but the government's response or reaction to something can exacerbate the problem. Yep. And, and a lot of the government's response to COVID exacerbated, I, I would argue, not only the economic problem, but actually COVID as well. Because when you're when you're putting a bunch of sick people into a nursing home, right, where that, that's the most vulnerable population, you're not only adversely affecting the economy because you shut down, you know, your, your businesses, but in the same token, your, your medical response to it was also negative, right? These things impact your, your overall GDP growth as well. So and, I've got a... Uh, a couple of I, something that I've seen a lot of people ask about is, you know, what's going to be causing this? And I've seen some horrible arguments on the Internet of yeah. what's causing this. I've also seen some plausibly decent arguments that um, one common argument that I've seen people say is that, that you know, if we're in a recession, it's being driven in large part by supply chain problems, especially because China keeps shutting down their factories. And and we know that, that the global supply chain in terms of shipping and railroads and stuff, I mean, that's a complete mess right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got that story in the Netherlands of those um, farmers that are blocking all of the grocery stores. Yeah. And that's another example of a supply chain problem. So, like, that's something that that is outside of the monetary phenomenon that I do think is contributing to it, making it worse. But I've also seen some horrendously bad arguments for what is causing this. And I wanted you, I mean, because this is making the argument, I wanted you to to break down what are some of the worst arguments that is well, going to be coming from the left and how do how do how does our audience who watches this podcast refute some of the inevitable bad arguments that are going to happen when the news drops in about a month that we're officially in a recession. Yeah, no, and and I and that's going to be important for two reasons. One, not just because we want to be correct in the way we think, but that's going to influence policy. It's going to influence the election cycle. It's going to influence all of that. So the, the first thing to understand about what causes recessions is like the simplest answer is anything that has a negative impact on productivity. Uh, and, and again, some of those things can be natural phenomenon. Some of those things can be a result of malinvestment. So a, a company can, you know, think that they're going to go in a particular direction, invest in a certain way, the company fails, that has a negative impact on production, right? So there, there are phenomenons that take place that you can't necessarily direct toward like the government or bad politicians. Uh, but what's interesting is that in almost every case where we see large scale, like something that actually causes a recession, it's inev- in, in, inevitably linked to government policy. Whether it's war, whether it's inflation, whether it's regulations and taxes, whether it's the government trying to manipulate the economy in a particular direction that people don't want it to go. Because the most important thing before we get into this next side here, which is talking about what is causing this recession, is to understand that the economy is not a machine, right? The economy is not an engine that needs to be fixed by some sort of expert. The economy is us engaging in transactions, That's what the economy is. You go to the store and you buy something, that's an economic exchange. You go to work, you do something for your employer, that's an economic exchange. And typically what we find is the the most powerful and resilient economies are the ones that allow for the most free exchange, which is to say that, you know, again, provided that we're engaging in voluntary exchange, um, those are usually the most robust and then the, and they're most resilient. They're the ones that can respond the quickest to when something bad happens. That begs the question. All right. So which ones are, are not the most resilient? It's usually the centrally planned ones. Mm-hmm. And this seems counterintuitive to people because they would think that, well, it was something as complex as the economy. Of course you want a wise group of like very skilled, highly educated experts that are able to intervene when necessary and, and make little, it, it doesn't work that way. And mm-hmm. the reason why it is isn't. Thomas Sowell talks about this. The reason why is because the the smartest people in the world going through all the data and having access to it still don't have a fraction of what he describes as the consequential information necessary to those economic transactions. Yeah. Because, again, I, I might be able to look at data from Excel spreadsheet standpoints and be like, oh, this went up and this went down and, oh, the price of wheat is this and, oh, maybe... Ultimately, how you choose to spend your money on a daily basis is based off of what you prioritize. Right. And it's incredibly difficult for any sort of central planner, no matter how good the data is that they have, to be able to make those arrangements 
But the good news is, is that when people are free to act, they can respond to it very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we're in this recession, right? Is because of Vladimir Putin, <laughs> right? That's what I keep hearing. That's it. It's because <laughs> old Vlad invaded Ukraine. And that, that explains, I mean, can, let's just think about this on, on a certain level. Because there's a certain degree of just what I find to be, I'm trying to be nice here. Um, I don't intellectual wanna, dishonesty. If, if you don't want to say it, I'll say it. Intellectual dishonesty. Stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> was, all right. The, the idea that the entire global economy could experience this kind of recession, inflation, price increases, supply chain issues, because Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, on some level, you've got to recognize that that's just absurd. Well, obviously, it has a, a bit of an effect, but definitely not the one that they're trying to sell. But, I mean, I was saying earlier that to sell a lie, there's got to be little morsels of truth in there. And obviously, oh, yeah. it affects certain things, and that just uh, provides a better a better lie to sell the public. Well, and I think as we look at... So if we look at the real reasons, and I think Hamilton's going to ask us some questions to, on the other reasons. To give you an idea of just how absurd the argument is, is you know that Vladimir Putin is the one who's caused the market to crash, inflation to go through the roof, the recession to come. The printing press to go. So <laughs> as, as tragic as the war in Ukraine is, and, and we all know, I mean, Russia invaded blatantly a country that it had no business invading. I mean, it, it, Russia is absolutely in the fault here. As tragic as that is. I have a feeling that it was not the most devastating war in European history. No. So to, to give you an idea of how ridiculous this argument is, the NASDAQ, or, or should I say, sorry, the, the Dow Jones Industrial Index fell 20% from its all-time high or from its peak on um, January 2nd, uh, um, 1913. It fell 20%. That was its previous peak. Um, by July 30th, 1914, it was down 20%. Take a guess what was going on in July 1914. Some World War One stuff going on. So there was there was something to the tune of 20 million people marching around Europe, killing each other, and it was like eight of the great powers in Europe had declared war on each other in the span of a week, and the entire global market was in free fall, and yet the Dow Jones Industrial Index fell 20. percent That's about what the Nasdaq has fallen by. So the argument that, that I hear from people on the left, that Russia invading Ukraine is what's caused the market to collapse, it's what's causing the recession, the market has fallen by about the same amount that it fell by at the beginning of World War I, yeah. a war that killed something like 40 to 50 million people and destroyed Europe for a generation. The market has fallen by the exact same amount. You cannot argue to me that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is on the same scale as the Germans entering Belgium and France. Yeah. Well, and, and it's the same thing when you look at inflationary numbers between now and World War II. I mean, it's it's higher now. So again, I'm and again not saying that the war in Ukraine isn't doesn't have an impact oh, on it, global supply chains. Yeah. Absolutely does, um, especially in two areas that we'll talk about. But this this idea that this just magically explains everything. Well, it does for political purposes, but it doesn't actually help us understand what is going on and why. And I, I think, you know, the first thing that we have to do is establish why is it happening now? And, and there's a number of reasons. Inflation is definitely one of the reasons why we're, we're going into a recession. And, and it's, it's fascinating because for a long time, people thought that that was counterintuitive. That there, there was negative components to inflation, but then what we found in the in the 1970s was we went into something called stagflation, which was even when you were pumping money into the uh, uh, economy by just printing it, you eventually reached a, a point where you were no longer helping productivity. Mm. And so, in, inflationary monetary policy is definitely one of the cause, one of the contributing causes to the recession that we're experiencing. I also think you you could point in some uh, respects to the government response to COVID. Okay. Um, now, again, we're, we're largely past a, a, a large part of what was going on with COVID and the worst restrictions and whatnot. However, some of our trading partners are still routinely going through and shutting down entire cities. We see this in China. We see this in other places. Um, also, you have to remember that when the government was shutting down the economy in the United States, it was a huge disruption to a lot of um, industries that, which were heavily reliant on capital or heavily reliant on capital with smaller margins to where they actually had to shut down productivity. And then it takes a while to actually get that moving again. And that has a negative impact on supply chains. Um, you also saw a push for within the Biden administration, you saw a push for more taxes and regulations. Now I want to be clear here. 
Because there's going to be a lot of people on the left going, well, they haven't managed to pass. They didn't get Build Back Better, and they didn't pass all of these you know, higher taxes that they were advocating for. They don't have all these new regulations. So what are you talking about? How could that adversely affect the economy? Well, first of all, you need to understand that he was able to do a lot with respect to executive order that impacted the energy industry. Because there's, there's so much within the energy industry in the United States that it was reliant upon executive orders in order, in order to be able to function. I mean, the guy was able to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. That's significant. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you have to take into consideration when you're talking about something like fuel costs, which have an impact on pretty much every good and service within the country because most of what you get had to be shipped from somewhere. When an administration comes in and tells an entire industry, we're going to crack down on your industry. We don't want there to be any more uh, drilling for oil on federal lands. Uh, we're going to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. We're going to you know, raise taxes on you. We're going to raise regulations on you. Even if you haven't been able to accomplish it through the legislature, if you're in that industry and, and expanding what you produce requires a massive amount of capital investment, are you going to engage in that kind of capital investment when you know you have an administration that is openly hostile to your industry? The answer is no. Mm-mm. And, and this is one of the things that I, I think people need to understand is that what entrepreneurs do within the economy is they're analyzing risk. They're analyzing risk and, and as, as a part of their costs in order to actually make their business profitable. And, and if you have a hostile administration saying, we are going to you know, clamp down on you, you you're don't, not taking any risk. You don't, you don't take more risk within that. Right? You sure up what you currently have and you try to weather the storm. So, you know, again, for anybody that would say, well, he hasn't gotten all the tax increases that he wanted. He hasn't gotten all the regulations he wanted. I, I acknowledge he has not gotten a lot of what he has wanted. It, it doesn't matter, though. He, he has set a tone, mm-hmm. and businesses will respond to the tone, not just the legislation that's actually been signed into law. The argument is, is that things would be worse if Biden yeah. had got everything that he wanted. Oh, yeah. We're lucky he didn't get everything that he wanted because it's, it's bad as it is. Yeah. And it's not it's not getting any better because, I mean, he is advocating for all sorts of things that would make the economy much worse. Uh, I mean, but but getting into the risk component, I think that's an important thing to mention because a huge chunk of the layoffs that are happening right now are coming out of like Silicon Valley. They're coming out of like big tech firms. I, I was reading an article the other day about um, just the sheer number of companies that were laying off people. Um, and it's, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's like, um, like Peloton has laid off a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Netflix has laid off people twice. Um, even, even some bigger firms like, like Microsoft and Facebook and stuff like that, they've halted hiring or they've slowed down hiring. Um, Tesla has announced that, uh, you know, Elon Musk said that he's going to lay out and they already have, I think they let off like 300 people in one of their offices in, um, in the Bay area. And, Part of the reason that this is particularly hitting the tech industry a whole lot is because tech relied for the better part of, what, 12, 14 years on 0% interest rates and cheap money um, to to fuel the creation of all of these different companies that were, you know, emerging out of mostly out of the Bay Area. And a lot of these companies were basically being subsidized indirectly by the Federal Reserve, giving them free money, indirectly giving them free money yeah. through, through the form of low interest rates or through quantitative easing. And when that got shut off, and it hasn't fully been shut off, but but as the Fed is tapering that off, you know, that spigot is, is drying up. And a lot of these companies, now there are some exceptions, you know, Microsoft and Facebook, they do generate tons of money. Tesla does generate money. But a lot of these other companies, they're not yet profitable. Um, you know, their expenses far exceed their revenues. And suddenly when interest rates are rising and you have, you know, $5 billion in debt and you were previously paying pennies on the dollar for that debt. And now you're paying hundreds of thousands or millions, tens of millions a year in interest payments. You're going to be a lot more restrictive on where you're going to be spending money. Well, I, I think that's an interesting point too, because people will look at that sometimes and they'll say, see, this is the, this is the problem with free markets is all these greedy capitalists in, invested in all this, you know, or they took on all this debt that they shouldn't have been taking on and, and they're not solvent. And now they're going to be looking for bailouts. And, and I want to look at them and be like, everything you just said is accurate to the point that they probably took out debt that they shouldn't have taken out. But let me ask you a question. Why'd they do that? Because the government was incentivizing right. them to take out debt. And, and why did they take out debt that they might've, might've caused them to go and ask for a bailout? 
because the government's repeatedly demonstrated to large that, sectors of the economy that they'll bail them out. Yeah. Right. Like in, in each one of the, it's, it's not that the critique of the, a business acting in an irresponsible manner is not valid. It's that they wouldn't have been able to act in this so. manner if the government wasn't already incentivizing the bad behavior on both ends of the transaction. Yeah. And, and it's because again, you have politicians that have, they have a political interest in the economy, quote, doing well while they're in office. Now, if it is doing well because of high degrees of productivity, excellent. If it's doing well because of high degrees of you know money printing and low interest rates, they can still get reelected on that. Mm -hmm. And what's so important about this is people understanding the difference of it. So they know that, okay, first of all, when, when they are boosting economic numbers temporarily to try to get, you know, because it's an election cycle, you should be furious about that. And you should properly understand what exactly is happening. It's like basically they're going to screw over the economy in, in the long run in order to get short-term political benefits from it. And, and that's that's problematic. Now, the, the one other thing that we, we need to be able to address here, because again, I, I want to be intellectually honest and consistent in everything we do. International instability it is also a contributing factor to what we see with respect to recession right now. Now, it, it's a much bigger impact on Europe than it is in the United States. And, and specifically, we're talking about um, Putin invading Ukraine. Now, part of the reason why it's it's a much bigger impact on Europe is because they're far more dependent on Russian oil. Now, this is interesting. And because, Ukrainian food. And Ukrainian food. And, and you can say there are, there are parts of Africa and other parts of the world, too, that are, are dependent on Ukrainian food. So you have Russian oil and you have Ukrainian food because Ukraine has been the breadbasket of Europe for a significant amount of time, um, especially for certain uh, grain crops. So what ended up happening was you, you saw a lot of European countries that were trying to, to the extent that they had it, they were reducing their own domestic um, oil production and refinery, and they were pouring a lot of taxpayer dollars into going green. Now, you would think that, oh, well, this, this makes them more resilient to what's going on <laughs> well, and, until you realize that when it gets really cold in Germany and, and you, can't, you can't fund the heating or, or you can't supply the heating based off of your solar panels – and then now, where are you dependent upon for your or for your um, your your oil imports? Well, they were largely dependent on Russia. It's not just that Germany made the horrendously idiotic decision to shut down their nuclear power plants. Yeah. In yeah. fact, Greta Thunberg tweeted like two or three days ago about there there was a, a meeting of of I it was either the European Parliament or, or some commission that was talking about you know certain environmental regulations and what to classify as green energy and and she was like tweeting and being like we shouldn't be classifying nuclear energy as green energy that's the reason that they're about to have yeah. like next winter there's a good chance that large parts of Europe will have an energy crisis except for France because yeah. France has nuclear power plants but Germany's in the process of shutting theirs down yeah like 70% of French power is supplied by nuclear which is incredible. I think it's the most of any. Like, I think large it's like the nation. most of any country. Most of any large, certainly or any most large, of any large yeah. nation. I don't know Luxembourg, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, when you when you've got a they so basically they created their own domestic energy crisis, and now they're dependent upon oil imports from Russia. So obviously that creates a problem, uh, and that affects the global supply chain, right? And then you also have um, you know, food exports from Ukraine because that's one of their primary exports, and now that's been disrupted. So that's going to cause rising food costs. So it's not that we don't recognize that a war in Ukraine has negative impacts on the global economy. It absolutely does. But to say that that's the most significant factor on why the United States is experiencing a recession is absurd because, one, we don't get a significant amount of our oil from Russia. We don't get a significant amount. Of, I, don't, I don't know that we get. It's something any, like 6% or, or. Well, it was like, yeah. And we, we, you know, we're not relying on Ukraine for food prices. Now, the counter argument to that is, well, yeah, but these are globally traded commodities, and so an increase in the price in one affects... And, and again, that's true, but it's not going to have anywhere near the significant impact on the United States that it would on those countries which are significantly dependent upon those imports. Yeah. Um, so what this really comes down to is, is it a factor? Yes. Is it the most significant factor? Not even close when you're talking about the recession in the United States. So what I'm interested about, and this is something that I think Tina could actually weigh in on, isn't just like what's going to cause this, because I, I think we've just covered what's causing this. It's largely the bubble is popping yeah. that the Fed had created. And the Fed is now for once actually trying to fix the problem. We'll see how long they they keep up with, you know, monetary tightening. I, I, I have a feeling that about 12 months or less, 
Jerome Powell might throw his hands up and surrender and turn the money printers back on. And if that happens, we might be doing a different podcast about hyperinflation. Well, Biden's already talking about cutting more checks. So, so I, I, which is the absolute last thing that we need right now. In fact, actually, before I, I, I get to this point that I wanted to loop you in on, there was a poll that was just done by Monmouth, like, uh, Monmouth uh, is is um, one of the the like premier pollsters in the country. They just did a poll like two or three days ago, and they asked a whole bunch of really interesting questions. And I'm not even interested in the, in the 2022 midterm stuff. What I found so fascinating was this poll where they said, "Has the federal government's actions over the last six months impacted your family in a positive or negative way?" It was something like 34 percent of people said no impact. Only eight percent of people said positive impact. Wow. 57% of Americans said the federal government's actions over the last six months have negatively hurt me. See, that gives me hope. You know what's so funny? They've This has been a running poll that has been going back since January 2015. 12 months ago, when the stimulus checks were rolling out and the stock market was at an all-time high and the bubble was at its peak, basically, it was tied almost 50-50 between people who said helped and hurt. Yeah. And now it's complete crash. And this goes back to Thomas Massey's tweet that he put out recently about how the stimulus checks ended up being the cheese in the mousetrap. And for a while, a year ago, everybody felt like because that was before inflation. That was before all the, you know, the crisis. That was before Ukraine. That was before the market crash. That was before all of that. Well, and to be fair, the federal government and various governments across the country were telling people they could not go to work. Yes. So and we were still. When the government's the one shutting you down and stopping you from being productive, at some point, the government's on the hook now to yeah. keep your family fed. Right. And, and, exactly. And so what I find so fascinating was a year ago, it was 50 50 split between people who said helped and hurt. And now it's it's almost universal recognition that the federal government is hurt. So it took time for people to realize, oh, the federal government really screwed me over. Mm -hmm. They gave me they printed five trillion dollars and they, they bribed me with a twelve hundred dollar check and they blew up the entire economy because of it. I'm sorry, the twelve hundred dollar check wasn't worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to, to ask Tina about was. And, and really all of us is the political implications of this, because we kind of now know what's caused this, what's the origins of it and kind of the direction that we're going. I'm worried about the political implications, especially because I think the response that we're going to see from the left when it's actually official, when the Fed announces in about a month or so that, yes, we are officially in a recession. I guarantee you the tweets that we're going to see in late July and early August are going to be some of the dumbest tweets that I've ever seen in my life from, from the usual suspects. And so I'm, I'm just curious what we think the political implications of this are going to be and and you know, what that's going to be going forward, because I'm, I'm expecting to see some not great things from some of our political leaders. Well, I, I mean, you can kind of start looking at what they're already offering as solutions. I mean, Biden's already throwing around the idea of price caps for gasoline. Um, and, and the reason why is because these high prices and this pain at the pump is actually part of the liberal world order that they, <laughs> that's their official statement. Um, and so we've, everyone's just got to hold firm and maybe we'll explore price capping. What happens when you price cap and how much worse is this going to get when you do that? And what's really interesting to me is I do see a massive pivot from the left uh, you know, just a couple of months ago, Kamala and various other ones were talking about how this economy is something to run on. <laughs> There's a lot to run on here. Oh my goodness. And run away from. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, it's almost like they flipped a switch, pushed a button and had, uh, a bunch of people go into action to do some crazy, crazy stuff. Like, I mean, um, oh, for instance, you have um, now all, all the environmentalists are going nuts. You, you have all of the shipping companies on the West Coast that are responsible for massive amounts of, of what comes and goes into the United States. And they're about to go on strike right now because their their contract ran out and we're already having shipping issues yeah. and now they're going to renegotiate all their contracts and this could really 
hurt, but they also see it as an opportunity because it could really hurt. This means they'll get what they want. Never let a crisis go to waste. Right. Yeah. Well, and the, you can see that with the left. And so now they have pivoted everything to Roe v. Wade. They have pivoted everything to gun control. They've pivoted, pivoted you know, uh, price capping, greedy corporations. I mean, anything and everything they can throw at the wall to see what sticks. But at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but my grocery uh, Bill is massive right now. I mean, I'll leave the grocery store with two bags of groceries and it's a hundred dollars. Oh yeah. I, I'll, I'll just get soda and peanut butter yeah. and, and I'll, I'll look at this and be like, this isn't $50 worth of groceries. I got like, I got like six items. That's right. And it, it's just, and so you're, you're getting killed at the pump. All of your shipping costs are insane. We're having issues with with um, things being on the store shelves, can't get a hold of certain items. Yeah. This for, is why we, I was talking about the, the supply chain problems, because like that is one of the things that's causing the, the recession. That's just not I guarantee well, you that's something that the left is. That's probably one of the things the left is going to blame in addition to Putin. Well, do you remember well, when they were blaming uh, Governor Abbott for holding up trucks at the border? <laughs> and and then when when they stopped holding up trucks at the border, what happened? They find trucks full of dead illegal immigrants coming into this country. Uh, people people died because of their policy, but well, they get to turn it around on everybody. Else. Here's what I think is interesting. They they I have I have noticed this in some circles where we're talking about like, well, th this is a supply chain issue. Okay, so why does the supply chain issue exist? Okay, well, go take a look at some of the contracts in these ports in the United States, and what what you find is we have some of the most nonsensical, archaic contracts, but you have really powerful longshoremen unions, and and anytime you bring that up, you're like, oh, you're you're anti-worker, you're anti-labor. No, I'm not. But when I'm looking at a when I'm looking at a port that doesn't have the automation of of any major port in the world that has working hours that are you know significantly less than other major ports in the world that that work off of these are, are archaic rules that don't make any sense based off of new technology and, and new understanding. And, and it's all there because of these contracts that were written. Innovation is the enemy. Yes. It, yeah. I mean, you actually saw people saying that, well, yeah, for every one of these machines, I lose a, I lose a paying union member. Like, Oh my gosh. So wait a second. So, so all of your, all of the members of your labor union have to pay more for groceries in, in order to, you know, in, in order to maintain this contract, like you don't, you don't see the, the, like the counterintuitive nature of that sort of reasoning. And, and again, it, it's really easy for someone to stand by like, well, this is supply chain. Well, what's the supply? Well, it's this company. It's this greedy company. Oh, okay. So, so the company wasn't greedy five minutes ago, but they're greedy now. And that, that's what explains this. I got a question. Is it ever the government that's greedy? Is it, is it ever politicians that are greedy for more power, more control, more influence? Are, are they ever greedy? I mean, should, should we not at least consider that as we're basically chastising the rest of the human race for being, you know, greed and, and being selfish? Uh, like, are, are these are these are these characteristics that I just go away the moment you get elected? Well, it's to give you an idea, uh, Amazon is having its own issues with unionization and uh, they just came out with a new policy saying that you are the, the building is closed to everyone who works there unless until they open for business or until they come in for their shift. They cannot come before their shift and meet and use the building when they're not there to work. Well, that sounds really reasonable to me. To me, it's like, yeah, it's probably a hazard to have a bunch of people showing up and, and being in your building um, all hours and when you're not working, when you're not during a productive time, especially because you've got issues with shrinkage, you've got everything else. But the whole thing that um, now the union people are saying, this is going to stop us from being able to unionize. We should be able to meet in your building and talk about how we're going to unionize. And you need to provide us that space yeah. in order to basically uh, scheme against you. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, it, it's just the spin. There's so much spin. All right, Nick. I've got a couple questions for you. And hopefully our folks who are listening will walk away with some points in their conversations they're going to have. But obviously, we're heading 
heading into this potential recession, I have a conversation with someone and they're talking about all of these corporations and CEOs who are raising prices uh, and trying to take massive profits. And that's the reason we're heading into a recession. And while everyone else is suffering, you know, they're getting filthy rich in the process. If someone made that comment, how would you respond? So here's the problem with looking at you know a particular corporation and saying they're making record profits. Well, first of all, you, you don't know why they're, quote, making record profits. And record compared to what? Right. That's an important question. Now, most people look at that like, well, that's nuanced. Why do I care what the, if it's record to this? Because if it's record compared to the last two years when you shut down the entire economy, it's not a record of any significance. In fact, using that same logic, I could point to a laborer that's now making more money and say, oh my gosh, they're making record prop. They're making record wages. But if inflation has pretty much wiped out the, the, uh, the value of that increased wage, right. well, then they're not really making record wages in any sort of substantive way, right? And, and the way to look at with a lot of these corporations too, um, some of them might be making record um, profits compared to when they were shut down during COVID. And that's usually what they're comparing it to. You'll, you'll find that they're not being very intellectually honest, especially when they're talking about oil and, and things like that. The other thing to keep in mind, record profits also depends on what, what you're counting and what time period you're counting it in. So if I make record profits this month because I, I bought something, we talked about this before with oil. Yeah. Let's say I bought oil at $90 a barrel. Mm -hmm. And typically I sell oil for a certain amount at 90 when I purchase it for $90 a barrel. But if I know the price of oil is going to go up significantly next month, well, now I have to sell it not for what I would buy at $90 a barrel. I have to sell it for what I think I'm going to be able to purchase it for right. in the future. Well, if, you, if all you're counting is what I sold this oil for at $90 a barrel, you could say, oh my gosh, they make record profits until they go to resupply. Yeah, and your your scenario isn't even taking into account profit for the company. No, th this is all just, this, Staying is, this is increased costs. So when you raise inflation or when you have other supply chain issues, this this creates increased costs. Sure. So if I, if I have to sell something at a particular amount now in anticipation of buying it at a higher resupply rate, if I just count the sales right now, it looks like I'm just doing, I'm just doing gangbusters. Right. If all of that profit is essentially wiped out as a result of inflation or higher cost to resupply, then I haven't made any more profits right. any more than the laborer has made more money simply because you gave them a $3 raise and that's been wiped out by 8.5% inflation. So again, if we're going to look at this in an intellectually honest way, we, we have to take those factors into consideration. Otherwise, we're just pushing a narrative. All right, we'll and and it, and it also begs the question because you get this from Robert Reich and all these other people, right? It begs this question where if, if companies can simply get away with being greedy today, why couldn't they be greedy? Get away with being greedy five minutes ago when right. you didn't have inflation, when you didn't have government um, restrictions on, you know, greater supply, oil exploration, uh, domestic production. So, Nick, I think we've talked about a lot in this episode, and I think if I was in a conversation with somebody, we were talking about prices, rising prices, inflation, recession. The one goal that I have in that conversation, even if they're a conservative, Republican, or middle of the road, is to help them understand that the government is in fact at fault for what we're going through right now. What's something simple that I can give to them or say to them to help them understand that? Maybe maybe they're not economically focused, but I want them to know that it's the politician, it is the government who is at fault for what we're going through now. I, I think the important thing to explain to them in that moment is look back in history and show me whenever there's been a huge recession or depression that didn't involve direct government action in order to cause it. Because even going back to like 1929, which is probably, sure. the, and, and again, historians have done a great job of putting it all on the private sector. But what people need to understand is that you had a, you had a major um, economic downturn in, in 1929, stock market crash. Um, you know, you, you had businesses that had engaged in malinvestment, but a large part of it, even back then, was a direct result of monetary policy by the federal government. But what most people don't know is even in 1929, initially the stock market had largely recovered. Unemployment was down like under 7% within a year. And then all of a sudden the government intervened with the Smoot-Hawley tariff and then FDR intervened on a massive level with the new deal. And we had unemployment shoot up 
you know, into the twenties and, and stay in double digits all through the 1930s. So it, it's about understanding that whenever politicians are telling you that, Oh no, this isn't our fault. This is right. somebody else's fault. Like, well, wait a second. Every other time we've had a major economic downturn, we can point to government intervention that's helped caused it. And then it goes to that fundamental question too. Like when we're, when we're saying that a recession is essentially a, a major drop in productivity over two quarters. Well, let's ask, let's ask the basic question. What contributes to a drop in productivity? Do companies want to be less productive? Absolutely. No, they want to be more productive so they can make more profit. So what causes companies or what sort of incentive structure would cause a company to be less productive? Well, if, if there's more regulations that make it more difficult for them to, you know, do what they need to do, if there's more taxes, um, and, and yes, you can acknowledge things like, you know, Ukraine as being a contributing factor, but that compared to the federal government printing $5 trillion and devaluing the currency, these all have negative impacts on productivity. What is one thing that had the government not done, we would be better off today. Printed $5 trillion. Okay. And, and, here, and here's the part that people need to understand. You can blame Republicans and Democrats for this, right? The, you, you can, because both parties have been guilty when it comes to trying to use the Federal Reserve and the printing press to get themselves out of political trouble. Because what they end up doing is they print a bunch of money, they lower interest rates artificially. Mm-hmm. The end result is, is the economy gets a little bump and they get reelected and then they deal with the they deal with the problem that's that's a different congress's problem so so the the monetary inflation is a huge component the second component is this when you enter in with a political administration that is essentially told large sections of the of the economy the people that are producing the goods and services that they're going to raise your taxes they're going to increase your regulations they're going to push for more government control and central planning you've told any every one of those producers that if they continue to invest, and, and a lot of times the, the risks they're trying to associate with, the, the things that they're trying to predict for the future, if they're not just trying to predict what your demand is as a consumer, but now they're trying to predict what some politician in a committee might pass right. at, at their detriment, their ability to assume risk and to invest, especially in large capital projects in order yeah. to increase productivity, they're not going to do that. Why would they? Why would they hire more people when they're essentially being told that their industry is going to have to account for costs now associated with regulations and taxes right. that it didn't have to before. Yeah. I, I think what's so interesting is we tend to think of America as a free market, uh, but it's really not. There are so many different ways that the federal government is involved in incentivizing certain types of investments in the economy by private companies. And to think that that centrally planned um, you know, government or incentivizing Incentivization. Incentivization, yes, of different things within the economy. They can do so accurately. It's just crazy. So, Nick, what do you think the left is going to come to the table with in terms of arguments once we're officially in a recession? What should the right's response be? Well, I think the left has already told us what they're going to do. They're they're going to advocate for more government control. Um, And and it's interesting because that argument is going to work with a lot of people because if you're someone that lost your job and you're very concerned and you're just worried about paying the next bill – there's a tendency to go with whichever person is offering you basically kind of a superficially plausible answer and a response. And if the, and if their answer is this guy ripped you off and we're going to help you because we're going to take from this guy and we're going to give it to you. Well, again, if you're in a position where you're scared, that sounds comforting. Yeah. Uh, The end result is though, is what they're going to do is they're going to rob you of future opportunities that you actually need to be financially independent to provide for yourself, your family, et cetera. So essentially a lot of these problems were created by government intervention in the economy through artificially low interest rates, through inflation, through restrictions on supply, through uh, taxation and, and basically um, disincentivization of productivity. That has, that has a lot of ramifications for people in a way that hits them very personally with respect to the grocery store, with respect to getting their car fixed, with respect to you know, being able to get a good paying job, all of those things. And when they create that sort of, when those policies create that insecurity, the same people will then loop back around and say, you know what, if the government was running more of these things, if the government was preventing this sort of greed within these companies and corporations, then this wouldn't be happening to you. But the only way we can do that is if you vote for us, and then we'll make sure we take care of you. Well, again, if if you're like most people that just don't have time to, to delve into economics, this sounds incredibly comforting in a time where you're probably very scared. Yeah. So what should the counter response to that be? So where are these problems stemming from? 
what people need to understand is that the, the nice sounding politicians that are showing you up and promising you the world, if you give them more power, they got you into this situation and they do not deserve to be trusted. That doesn't mean that every one of them is a horrible human being that hates you in America. That's not what it means. Some of them might honestly believe that Karl Marx was onto something. I'm sorry, they're wrong. And no matter how much they believe it or no matter how much they tell they care about you is not going to fix the systemic problems that they created. The other side is you do have people that just fundamentally disagree with free markets, with property rights. They honestly believe that the solution to everything that ails us within society is wise politicians, bureaucrats, and quote experts deciding what the economy looks like. And if, and if again, that might sound comforting until you see every other place that has tried it, it doesn't work. And it can't possibly work. It's not that the it's not that we didn't have smart enough people with with better tools and technology or you know people that were more moral. That wasn't it. They're creating a system with perverse incentives, which constantly requires them to have more power at the expense of your individual choices, liberty, freedoms, etc. And whenever that happens, all of a sudden that robust degree of, of choice and options that naturally happens in a free market where people are able to find where their skill sets best fit in order to provide for others so that they can provide for themselves gets replaced with a top-down approach of bureaucrats deciding what goes where. And the end result is, is you're going to be poorer and you're going to be less free and you're not going to get any of the things that they told you you were going to get. Or if you do, you're only going to get them for a short period of time because ultimately they're relying, they're relying on the very people that they are demonizing in order to produce the tax revenue to make those things possible. So, Nick, where can our folks go to get a bit more knowledge on this issue if they'd like to do any research? I, I, one, one that's really interesting, and this was an article that was written some time ago by Hazlitt. You can find it on Foundation for Economic Education. It's called How Inflation Breeds Recession. 1975. 1975. <laughs> and what's fascinating about this is that, not, look, the Bible's right, man. Nothing is new under the sun. This has all been tried before. It will be tried again. That's kind of the sad part. Um, but he does a good job of, of explaining how inflationary monetary policy actually leads to recession. And it's kind of what we talked about before. When you create perverse incentives in the economy, uh, you're actually encouraging businesses to do things that they normally wouldn't do under, under normal activity. Um, and, and you're incentivizing, you, you saw the same thing when we incentivized home buyers to buy homes that they couldn't possibly afford uh, under all these different mortgage schemes and everything else. So they create this instability and then they offer themselves as the solution. And, and Hazlitt does a good job of talking about this. Um, Thomas Sowell's Economic Facts and Fallacies is another excellent one to read because he does a he does a very good job of breaking down some of the most popular narratives with respect to what causes economic downturns and, and how they should be responded to versus how politicians often want to respond to them. But one of the number one things I would just ask people to consider um, regardless of your political party, regardless of how you feel about your individual representative, I think it's important to understand that all of us operate off of incentives. And when the incentive structure that we have to operate within encourages us to produce goods and services that other people want, basically when our ability to provide wealth for ourselves is inextricably tied to our ability to provide wealth for others, that is a positive incentive structure. Now, it doesn't mean that people aren't going to try to manipulate it or do bad things. That, that's, that's a humanity issue. That's not necessarily an economic systems issue. But when you try to replace that sort of positive incentive structure within a free market system, when you try to replace it with politicians pulling the strings, you need to understand that you're, you're going to create perverse incentives and that inevitably you're giving away your power to a politician that has somehow convinced you that they're somehow more noble, more smart, or more intelligent um, than, than you are with respect to what you need for your own life. And honestly, that just doesn't make sense in the long term. So I, I would just, I would just encourage people look at economics, facts and fallacies by uh, Thomas Sowell, you know, uh, economics and one lesson by Hazlitt is another excellent book. These will give you a really, really good base foundation to understand what is currently going on and what our response should be to it. Because here, here's the good news on a macro level, on that high end level, uh, what we need is is more people, more politicians that understand that they don't possess the the intelligence to manage the economy. But what they can do, it is is help foster an environment of individual liberty, of free market economics, of private property rights. Um, and when they do intervene, they should be intervened because someone has decided to steal from you, defraud from you, right? That's that's when they're they're 
you could argue a good proper role for the government to come in and say, no, look, you, def you lied about what you were doing or you, you polluted and you destroyed someone else's property. That's a good intervention because when somebody else is being hurt, um, but ultimately, ultimately the more freedom that you have to be able to act within the economy based off of your talents and skills and also the need, the, the specific and unique needs of your, your family uh, and yourself, the better the entire economy operates as a result. Okay. Well, we went through a lot of stuff today. This was a, it was a long episode. We, we got a little episode. wonky, but here, here's what I, here's what I hope you're taking away from this. Understanding what a recession is, what causes a recession and, and what we can do about it and what politicians should be doing about it, as opposed to a lot of the negative things that they're going to tell you they should be doing about it. Um, and, and again, just, you know, just remember you should have a healthy degree of skepticism for any politician that uses this as an excuse to try to say that they should have more power over your economic life. Right. That, that should be the first thing that just shoots up you know, red flags in your mind when they start advocating for that. Once again, thank you for joining us on this episode. Please go to Spotify, to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you're watching this. Leave us a comment. Let us know how we did. Um, I want to say, too, I, I, it's always great. It's something that we really appreciate when we have people come on and say, hey, this is something that we've used for our homeschool curriculum, or this is something that I've used where I, I had a discussion and I used the argument. Please share those stories with us. We, they're, they're very encouraging. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.